Ben, Ben Avery here from the Comic Book Time Machine. Just to uh, quickly remind you that these following episodes were actually taken from a larger episode and cut up into more easily indexed, smaller portions. So there are going to be times when I talk about, you know, next in this episode or previously in this episode, because originally these were released as long episodes that covered a single month of the comics. A long time ago, on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 36, Human Fly, issue number 5, which is cover dated January 1978. Human Fly, number 5, 35 cents. Uh, has a cover date, like we have already said, January of 1978, but it was released on October 4th, 1977. And uh, the cover of Human Fly will tell you that it's the wildest superhero ever because he's real. And he is based on a real guy who actually was a stuntman, as I, as I mentioned before, and, and they licensed his story and they're telling these fantastical stories, but that are more realistic than your standard Marvel fare, even though the human fly actually takes place within the Marvel universe because we've seen him work with Spider-Man and uh, they mention superheroes and that kind of thing. He hasn't done too much with super villains or, or with uh, super other superheroes, but it's, it's entrenched in that Marvel universe. This, uh, this uh, particular issue is called fire in the night. And Bill Mantlo is the writer. Frank Robbins is the artist. Rob Santiago is the anchor. Jane Cohen is the colorist. Joe Rosen is the letterer. And Archie Goodwin, again, is the editor. And we, the cover shows us uh, Craven the Hunter's uh, greasy greaser cousin is standing on top of a burning building and aiming a gun down at the human fly who is scaling the side of the building using what looks to be either bars of soap or chalkboard erasers to um, hold him to the side of the building. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what that's meant. Well, no, I know what it's meant to be. It just certainly does not look like what it's meant to be. There's cars and stuff down below. You've got the flames coming up. It's a dramatic cover. Uh, the guy who's pointing the gun has a crazed look on his face. And like I said, he kind of has a, a greaser haircut. And honestly, he looks like he could be the villain from some sort of uh, Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry movie uh, who's you know desperate. And he's you know holding the gun on the hero, even though he knows he can't possibly win. So I've got a pretty low bar for human fly stories right now. 
All this has to do is live up to the cover. Just give me the drama on the cover within the book. Give me a good reason for them to be on the building. And basically, this book has one job. Don't be stupid. That's what I'm asking. And, uh, well, here's the story. Scene one sees human fly on a helicopter investigating a towering inferno. He can't get close. The helicopter can't get close enough to get to the roof because of the updraft from the heat of the flames and the smoke. But there are kids who were on top of the building. They are still on top of the building and they are safe for now. But fire is coming up. Emergency fire doors have dropped. The emergency teams cannot get to the children on top. The helicopter cannot get to the children on top. Basically, the kids will die unless someone can get to them and get to them soon. And that's someone, human fly. Okay, so far, so good. This is standard stuff, but not stupid stuff. And reading this, I can't help but be reminded of, you know, disaster movies from the 70s, like, say, oh, I don't know, Towering Inferno. Uh, it really, I think... It draws a lot of influence and a lot of inspiration from those types of movies. Uh, but we're going to get some other influences from the 70s. Towering Inferno came out in 1974, so this is only, you know, three or four years later. But, of course, we are starting in the middle of things, so we need to find out how we got to this point. That brings us to scene two with a flashback. Reporter Harmony White is covering the uh, stunt event that the human fly is doing, and she has promised she will shelve her suspicions because of the kids who are there on the roof of the building with Ms. White and with human fly and her camera team. They are watching as he is going to walk a tightrope between the world's two new tallest buildings, which are slightly taller than the World Trade Center, as we are told here in the text. I have looked it up. I tried to do a J. David Weider, Dave's Daredevil podcast, um, kind of you know, research into where this would be. I I really couldn't come up with uh, two towers that would have been next to each other in Quebec uh, that are would have been in you know 1977 tallest buildings in the world. Uh, I've, I tried. I didn't know where to look, though. I, I don't know at all what these towers are supposed to be, other than they really do look like the World Trade Center did. So um, as he's doing this, he, he's doing it for a group of Canadian disabled school children. And he's up there, and he's getting ready to walk the tightrope. And, of course, the question is, how did we get from here, where they're all up there and it's all happy and it's daytime and there's no fire and no guy with a gun? <laughs> as we see on the cover. Uh, how do we get from there to where they are investigating and trying to get to the children through the smoke and heat and flames? Well, here's why. There is a man dressed as a security guard with a gun who says he, quote, won't be robbed of his glory. He shoots the cable in front of the audience and in front of the cameras, and human flies' gymnastic skills are the only thing that save him as the rope falls as he grabs onto it and he is able to find himself uh, some good footing, but he is no longer up there with the kids, no longer up there with Harmony White, and no longer up there with this crazy man with a gun. And this crazy man with a gun, what does he do? 
he points the gun at the kids. Now, the kids have come there to be inspired. He is there to tell the kids, you can do anything. You can, you can overcome. And that's what he's trying to show them by doing this stunt. And, and you know, we can get into, you know, the, the merits of doing life-threatening stunts to inspire people to better their, their lives or whatever. But the, the motivation is good. I mean, he's a motivational speaker, basically. He's the guy who comes in to your gym at school with, uh, you know, a BMX bike team or with um, basketball stunt team, uh, you know, or they're, you know, doing feats of strength, like tearing uh, phone books and carrying refrigerators and that kind of thing. You know, they're, they're showing you, you know what, we trained hard, we did this, and we want to inspire you to train hard, you know, to work hard at what you want to do, at what you want to accomplish. Uh, so this actually feels like it's drawn straight from reality. I don't know if he would do this, this kind of a stunt in front of children like this, because if something would go wrong, well, something does go wrong. I mean, they they get double trauma. Uh, they get to see an attempted murder of this man who is kind of a heroic figure to them. And then they get a gun turned on them. This is not good. A uh, cameraman attacks the man and he knocks the guy out. I mean, right in front of the children. This is something that's this is not good. Uh, then we find out that he's actually soaked five the five top floors of the building with gas and he has turned off the sprinklers and then okay up until this point i've been forgiving this is way over the top uh i'm trying to figure out what could possibly motivate someone to put children in danger like this then he rips off the security guard uniform it tears away and reveals a man in jungle man tights stupid darn it <laughs> it took the turn oh now we're meant to be reminded of um philip or philippe petit who um walked between the two towers of the world trade center in 1974 again we're drawing inspiration from other places but uh, by the way, there's a documentary called Man on Wire about that. And there is a IMAX movie directed by Robert Zemeckis called The Walk, starring Joseph Gordon-Lovett that is also about that. It's a fascinating story. Fascinating story. And uh, I'm actually, I am so afraid of heights, but I really want to see the the walk in IMAX just to experience the height. Uh, similar to Gravity. Gravity, the only reason I would watch that movie again is if I could see it on the big screen in 3D again. It's an experience far more than a story. Uh, with The Walk, though, I'm, I'm assuming it'll be more of a story than just the experience, but I want to experience that in IMAX 3D. I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like, you know, but this is the closest you can get to walking on the tightrope without having the danger of someone shooting the cable out from under you. So, in scene three, we have Human Fly. He has a mad plan that no one thinks will ever work, but they're willing to let him try just out of desperation. Meanwhile, the jungle man is still holding them hostage. It's now nighttime. He plans to die with them. He's going to go down in a blaze because his glory has been stolen from him. And Human Fly happens to see a feed from the camera that's still up on the building, and, and he knows who this man is. His plan is to use suction cups to climb up the side of the building. He's going to go up as far as he can where the fire doors are dropped down and you can't get through. 
And so he goes up to, you know, halfway up or whatever. Then he's going to climb the rest with these suction cups. And he ends up uh, climbing up and using uh, a cable and things to get around. But um, that's his plan, and he's going to do it. And and we know he's going to succeed. No one believes in him except for the writer of this story, Bill Mantlow. Bill Mantlow absolutely believes in him. But um, he's he's going to make it. We know that. The question is, what's going to make it interesting to get us there? And what's going to make it interesting? A backstory. A backstory that's going to give us a reason why Jungle Man uh, is legitimately holding children hostage at gunpoint and planning to kill them by fire. I mean, this is... Oh, my goodness. This is over the top. This is worse, far worse than any imaginary thing Dr. Doom could do. This is absolutely ridiculous. A regular guy doing this kind of thing. This man has gone insane. There is really no other. There's no other reason for this. Anyway, we get his backstory and that he used to be the greatest aerialist ever. He used to be the greatest tightrope walker of all time. And he was going to walk a tightrope from the Empire State Building to the Chrysler Building. But the cable snapped. Now, he didn't grab on and use his gymnastic skill like the human fly did. Instead, the cable happened to wrap around his leg. He swang down and slammed into the building and it broke every bone in his body. He's never going to walk a tightrope again. But you know what? He tried. And he would still be famous. But as he's lying in the hospital, he's given a newspaper. And we can see the headline. His glory has been stolen. By Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, this, this story just keeps piling it on. I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, scene four has human fly making his way up past the heat, the fire, the danger. He gets there and he distracts jungle tightrope man and a little boy with a crutch hits the gun out of the guy's hand and then as the boy does that human fly throws his pimp cane at the jungle man i can't believe i even just said that sentence jungle tights man is out harmony and the children are able to go across on a chain link ladder bridge that is connected to a helicopter that's off to the side where the updraft is not going to get it. She takes the kids who are able to walk, uh, leads them across. Human fly has to choose. Do I take the unconscious guard or do I take this little girl who's in a wheelchair? And he is told then that he doesn't have to choose because jungle tights, tightrope man has woken up and he's going to help. So they go across and jungle tights, tightrope man, as he goes across, um, he's the last one. He's holding the girl and the chain ladder bridge thing breaks from the heat. And now we have a similar fall. We have three of almost the exact same falls in this one with uh, gymnastic daring do one with an absolutely bone shattering result uh this fall he's able to protect the girl they smash through a window not far below uh in in the, the next building over and he's able to protect the girl and then we get our melodramatic ending where oh this is this man is beyond beyond redemption but he lands and can you forgive an, a mad old man, child? And the, the little girl says, I forgive you, monsieur. No, I should thank you, not forgive you. 
And then Human Fly talks to the man. Turns out this man taught Human Fly everything he knows about tightrope walking. <laughs> and... <laughs> and, yeah, he says, I was wrong, Fly, and I'll go to prison for it, probably for the rest of my life. Yes, you will, dude. <laughs> he says then, but maybe I made up a little with you and the girl. Your secret is safe with me. Go on, son. Do what this old man could never do. Give people something to live for. Give them hope. It's worth more than glory. <laughs> and I'll say this. You know, there's elements to this story that, that work. I mean, that's a great line right there. But all they had to do was just take out some of this ridiculous stuff off with what he was doing what if he went out on the wire with human fly instead of trying to kill him he accidentally snaps the cable and what if i don't know somehow there's a fire that starts it's unrelated but we end up with a man who's broken who has lost his chance to have his his former glory that's forgivable that's a mistake that he did something stupid and then has to make up for it and then we could still have all of the, you know, the hijinks of getting up the building and stuff like that. But no, we are given this over-the-top villain and then we're expected to forgive him just a little bit. Because instead of burning five, four or five disabled school children to death while holding that at gunpoint, he chooses to help one cross a bridge. No, you didn't make up for it a little bit. <laughs> And this is, this is clown shoes. This is a clown car that pulls up and you open the trunk and after 48 clowns come out, you see there's three suitcases full of clown shoes. This is ridiculous. I, but I'm sitting here laughing. So, is it so bad that it's good? I don't know. I mean, you get that reveal where he tears away the thing and he's in the circus strongman jungles print tights. And it's just, why in the world? Why did he dig that, that out after you know 30 years? I mean, Pearl Harbor was 30 years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, now I think I mentioned that I was going to uh, have some feedback on this issue. Um, and do it in the bullpen bulletin, but I'm, I'm calling it audible. And I, I think I'm just going to go ahead and, and read that feedback right now uh, here while I'm in the middle of talking about the human fly. And it comes from uh, Professor Allen from the Relatively Geeky Network, which is a podcast that features him and his daughter and uh, three different shows that they do. And uh, so I, he sent in this feedback. Um, he does a quarter bin podcast, which is where he reads books that he paid only a quarter for, and he has like a big database. And so I, he has apparently lots and lots of comics. So I don't know if this is a quarter comic or not, but he, he read it. And so here is his email. He writes, Ben, when you started covering the human fly as a licensed property, I thought it rang a bell. Digging through the books I've bought from the cheap bins in the last few years, there it was. Human fly number five. So I was waiting for you to cover it on the show so I could send feedback until I realized I could send pre-feedback. So here are some of my thoughts on number five. For context, I have just heard you talk about the first two issues, so I don't know how you felt about issue three and four or even what happened in them. I was pleasantly surprised by number five, especially after listening to you talk about the wackiness of the evil car racing plot from issue two. This story seemed much more contained and, dare I say it, almost realistic. 
The villain had a reasonable backstory, albeit a slightly soap opera backstory. I like the redemptive arc that Malik went on over the issue, going from dejected and delusion to willingly criminal to heroic. Keeping the fly's secret identity secret was a nice touch. And you might be too young to know this, but Daredevils and Wirewalking were a thing in the 70s, although references to the World Trade Center are still a bit disconcerting. I did want to ask you whether there was a building in Canada that approached that height. Was that supposed to be the CN Tower? That part confused me. Also, the notion of the handicapped kids just needed to try a little harder to work to walk over the metal link bridge was another insight into 1970s thinking. But those are all minor quibbles. The story did not try to be epic or sweeping or world-shattering, but it had stakes that were high enough and dramatic enough to hold my interest. Maybe it's just that your coverage of issue two had tempered my expectations enough to allow for this issue to pleasantly surprise me. A few comments about other features in the issue. First, only 17 pages of story out of 32. That did break up the reading more than I expected. Second, the letter page addressed a question regarding the issue of fictionalizing the actions of a real person, and their answer was pretty interesting. And third, Thor versus the Dingling family? Nuff said. Keep up the good work, and God bless you, Professor Allen. And Professor Allen, I'll say this. I'm not too young to know this. Um, I watched That's Incredible religiously. All right? I mean, I know that stuff was going on because they were talking about it with John Davidson and that football guy and that, that lady. Um, but anyway, um, I, yeah, this is a better issue. And it, honestly, this is a better issue than number two, but it would really, really, really be hard for me to um, find anything that's not as good or that, that that's not better than number two. So... Yeah, I and I appreciate the feedback and and thank you for listening. Thor versus the Dingling family. I'll be talking about that in the bullpen bulletin. As for the building, like I said, I don't know. It's not the CN Tower. Uh, that's in Toronto, and um, this is in Quebec somewhere. But it doesn't tell us the city. That's the problem. Is it doesn't say what city it is. I was a, a going. I was assuming it was Montreal, but I, I just couldn't find anything that was matching what I was seeing in the visuals and what I I, I don't know if it's a real thing. Or not. It looks like a real enough building, but I don't know if it's based on an actual real building that someone could have, you know, strung a wire between. And as for that last tidbit in the the letters page, it was interesting because they're talking about how they fictionalize things, but they want to keep it semi-realistic and and honor the the truth of the story. But I've I've spent way too much time talking about this. Uh, I, I didn't like it that much. And I want to just read some Godzilla. So it's time to move on. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, issue six.